Welcome guys to the Macros Bodybuilding and Powerlifting Podcast. I am your host Steve Hall and I have another great guest with us today and that is Joseph Agu who hopefully a lot of you may have heard of, some of you might not have. Um, I for sure have been following him for quite a while and we've met a few times at various conferences that we're just talking about how they've just expanded which is really cool. Um, and also he's been doing a lot of work online with Facebook and putting out great infographics. So hopefully you've seen some of those. If you haven't, um, and if you haven't heard of Joseph, he is a performance nutritionist um, and he used to work with the British athletics team. So he certainly knows his stuff and has currently been working more with elite nutrition, men uh, not elite nutrition mentoring. <laughs> I'm thinking of something else, elite nutrition coaching. So that is his own brand. Um, ENC. So he has completed a BSc in sport and exercise science, also an MSc uh, in sports nutrition and currently working towards his PhD, um, which we just spoke about and is kind of a bit on hold. So he's got more time to put into his business, which is cool, um, but obviously still very much in the research, doing lots of work, especially around protein um, and nutritional intervention for kind of strength and performance athletes. So uh, is there anything else you want to add to that, Joseph? I know I kind of rattled through. <laughs> um, just in terms of if people want to find that, so on, on Facebook, it's facebook.com um, slash Joseph Agu Nutrition, or one word, and the, the website's elitenutritioncoaching.com. Perfect. Yeah, we're, I'll make sure all of the kind of your social media links and your website's down below because there are many great articles on there and kind of they probably delve into a lot of the specifics we're going to talk about if people want to kind of get a reference point. Um, so if we delve straight into it, we want to talk about kind of perfecting your protein intake and obviously kind of perfecting something is very kind of elusive. It's like trying to find something that's optimal. It's kind of depends on many things. But if we just take it from kind of a scientific perspective, and kind of take out the variables that life throws at us, we can kind of come to a roundabout way of recommending things. And Joseph had a great way of breaking down kind of the hierarchy of your protein um, needs and kind of the things to focus on. And then once you kind of hit that level, you can focus on the next level, kind of like a pyramid. Um, that included total protein, protein distribution, quality and timing. Um, so we're going to kind of try and go through each bit, break it down for you. Um, and Joseph kind of knows this stuff really well. So I'm excited to kind of give this to you guys. So uh, if we start off with kind of total protein intake and kind of why is that most important? What kind of figures should people be aiming for um, if there may be and differences maybe between their energy intake, maybe if they're in a surplus deficit and uh, just maintenance with that change, Joseph? Yes. Um, yeah. Thanks for, for the introduction. So. Yeah, it's part of an article I wrote on casein um, or, or protein ingestion pre-bed that was in 2015 for the Alan Research Review and then did that as a, a separate blog post um, last year. So that's, I think that went up in May 2016. I did like a hierarchy in terms of um, protein, basically. So what, what is the most important factors to focus on? So at the bottom, so looking at the most important to the least important, I had total protein intake. So that's a total daily protein intake. Uh, the second one was distribution, um, then quality, and then timing. Um, so in terms of total protein intake, it's it, it's been studied for probably about 25 years or so now. And I think one of the first reviews on protein requirements for strength athletes was by uh, Lemon in 91, and they suggested a range of around 1.4 to 2.2, um, around 2.1, 2.2 grams per kilo uh, of body mass per day. And, and to be honest, that hasn't really changed that much in the, in the, the past 20 years. So I, I did a graph in one of my Facebook posts, actually, where I basically looked at the different ranges and how they've changed over the years. And it, it is pretty linear uh, in, in terms of a, a general line across. But then the where, where it does change is... A couple, of, a couple of reviews. So there's one, uh, Phillips and Van Loo in 2011, and then Eric Helms' one uh, looking at protein recommendations during caloric restriction, and they sort of suggest going upwards of the, the sort of two grams per kilo mark and going up to around the sort of 2.5 to 2.7, uh, the Phillips paper slightly less. So, And the idea is that during dieting that you're more likely to lose muscle. So providing the body with extra amino, uh, amino acids would um, help minimize uh, 
muscle loss, essentially. Um, there's some evidence to suggest that's the case, but there isn't really any evidence to say going quite so high is, is beneficial, at least in terms of a providing protein to, to minimize muscle loss. There's, there's some evidence that consuming a higher protein might help with satiety, so, which is obviously important during dieting, so that would be that'd be something to consider. But, but in general, my general recommendations are around 2 to 2.5 uh, grams per kilo per day. So the lower end for those who are at maintenance or probably in a surplus and the higher end as you're getting a bit more aggressive in terms of dieting. Awesome. And then kind of considerations, are there any differences for age? Because I know kind of the younger populations tend to be able to survive on less essentially or do with less and then elderly people need a bit more. Is that something you've seen in the literature to be true? Yeah, so it is, there's, there's a, a concept called uh, sarcopenia where it's, it's basically an age-related decline in uh, muscle mass. And part of that is um, a decreased sensitivity to, I think, one, exercise, and two, the amino acids that you're ingesting. So if you look at the dose required to get a, a near-maximal um, increase in muscle protein synthesis, that is significantly higher in older people compared to the young. So in well, most most data indicates that around 20% is probably around the optimal, uh, whereas 40 grams in, in the elderly population would be probably a bit more appropriate, sort of 30 to 40 grams. So um, that said, there's, there's a study that came out last year by um, I think Oliver Whitehard's group, so that was a 2016 paper, where they showed that 40 grams of protein in, in young subjects was better than 20, so significantly better, um, which is in contrast to some of the early work that, that was a paper back in 2009 by Moore, where they showed that there was no significant difference between 20 and 40 grams. And, and the main key difference between those designs really is the, the type of exercise done. So in the Moore paper, as well as a, another Whitehall paper in 2014, they used, um, I think it was just leg extension, so like a single limb or single muscle group um, exercise, whereas the, the 2016 was a full a full body yeah. um, exercise session. So the idea is then if you're um, using more muscle mass during that exercise period, so for a given workout, then you could probably do with a little bit more to, to really maximize that, that anabolic response to a single meal. Um, that said, it's, it's, it's not as though the, the 40 grams has suddenly come out of nowhere because if you look at the difference between the, the 20 and 40 gram um, response in the Moore paper in 2009, I think the difference is around 10%, and it's probably around 20% in the, the, the more recent Whitehard paper. So you're getting 80% of the effect with, with 20 grams any, anyway. So it's, it is the more economical dose. It's just that for those who are looking to really push the, the envelope, then probably going a little bit above that is, is worth it. Um, so my general recommendations are around 30 to 40 grams for most people. Um, for women who perhaps might be a little bit lighter, then maybe around the 25 gram mark, but that's mainly to be able to include sort of regular amount of feedings within a given protein intake. So for example, if we've got a, a 60 kilo woman um, if they're consuming two grams per kilo, that's 120 grams. So if then they were to consume 40 grams per meal, that's only three feedings throughout the day, whereas ideally you'd probably want around four to five. So in that instance, sort of um, four, yeah, you could probably get away. Well, you could do four 30-gram doses, for example, and that probably be slightly better than the, the 340 but in reality it's probably not going to make that much difference but it just makes the, the, that distribution a little bit easier um, and some people prefer it and, and it, it can't be understated the importance of preference that comes into this as well because it, it's a well and good to say to someone that you need to eat four to five meals a day with 30 to 40 grams of protein in each one whereas some people um, it, me including that I prefer to eat a few like say three larger meals so my meals probably contain about 50 60 grams of protein mm -hmm. in each one 
Um, in terms of maximizing anabolism, it's probably not ideal, but I'm probably getting over 90% of the effect of what nutrition is going to have. And training is going to play a much bigger role in, in hypertrophy anyway than, than just eating protein. Some could eat the perfect sort of protein setup, and if they don't train at all, they probably won't really gain anything unless they're coming from a really suboptimal intake. Whereas if they're training relatively poor, they're still not going to get great results just because the, the training is obviously the, the limiting factor, really. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, no, that's it's a good <clears throat> kind of summary in, in terms of preference being key is absolutely true and i think there's many things to take on board when you're talking about kind of total protein intake and kind of thinking about your situation because i know i've even got clients i've got like you said smaller females where they're like required total protein intake might be quite low but they like to eat fairly frequently through the week uh, through the day even um, and they're on a fairly low intake so they maybe kind of want more for satiety reasons or even people who are kind of in a surplus and they're quite small males so their protein intake kind of on that basis looks quite small but because they're eating so much they actually really like to have that higher protein intake and as long as they're getting sufficient i think the the key is with those sort of situations is if they're making sure they're getting enough kind of fats and carbs that it's not limiting their progress because um, that can become quite an important factor as well uh just on the side note with the protein intake when you do it with clients or just your general recommendations, are you basing that off lean body mass or kind of total body weight? Um, total body weight, more often than not. Um, well, I, can't, I can't recall ever doing it by lean body mass one because most of the clients are online. So getting an accurate estimate of body composition is, is going to be difficult. Mm-hmm. Um, f- for those who are, are quite overweight, then... Say if someone's 120 kilos, for example, I'm not going to stick them on 240 grams of yeah. protein because if you factor that into the lean body mass, you're talking well over the sort of three gram mark. Um, so yeah, yeah, as long as you're quite pragmatic about it. So if we take someone who's 120 kilos and say if they lean down, they'd probably be end up being about 85, then you'd put a, I'd probably put them around the the sort of 100. And, 50, 160 gram marks, so, um, probably around 1.8 to 2 grams of their sort of lean body weight, if, if you like. So it's it's taken into account lean body mass in a way, but um, but if, if you if you say if you were to hire me as a um, as a coach, then it'd just be a pretty much a straight two 2.2 grams per kilo more, um, more than factoring in your body in your in your in your in your fat mass, just because obviously there won't be much judging by some of the Yeah, I hope so. I I think I, I think the pro- protein and total protein has come to quite a nice point at which the the kind of the golden rule or golden rule of thumb of one gram per pound, which is really easy for people to remember, is quite a nice kind of ground that covers most bases, even when people are in a surplus or deficit. And then if they want to consider, okay. I'm slightly older, so maybe if I want to optimize things a bit more, I can go a bit higher. I'm in a deficit. I'm quite hungry. Maybe I can go a bit higher or vice versa. If you're in a surplus, you can go a bit lower. Um, But getting around that 2.2 per gram or the one gram per pound, yeah, sounds like a great recommendation. And like that's the starting point for anyone listening. Kind of if you're not doing that, it doesn't matter if you listen to the rest of the podcast, you get the rest of the things right. If you get this one wrong, then you're kind of shooting yourself in the foot. Um, just like if you're not training, you're shooting yourself in the foot big time. Um, so if we move on to protein distribution, which we kind of touched on a little bit, you talked about spreading it through. You like to have the three bigger meals, um, but you touched on maybe four to five meals being maybe more optimal. Um, how many meals is too many? How many meals do you think is too few? Is, are people shooting themselves in the foot by doing intermittent fasting a little bit? Um, maybe delve into that a little touch. Yeah, um, so let's go for... For, for muscle gain, first of all. So the goal of optimizing muscle hypertrophy, in, in terms of nutrition, it basically comes down to trying to stimulate muscle protein synthesis as, as much as you can in a given day. And probably the best way to do that really is if you take a given protein intake of, say, 2.2 grams per kilo, and just spreading that evenly across um, the waking hours of 
So it usually works out around 30 to 40 grams in most males, probably slightly lower in, in females. And in consuming that, say, over, um, say, 16 hours. So um, I think I've got some examples somewhere. But yeah, it's it's, it's relative. So if, if we take, say, an 80 kilo male, for example, then two grams per kilo is going to be 160 grams. If you did four um, intakes of 40, um, 40 grams throughout the day, so maybe at breakfast, then pre-workout, post-workout, and then dinner, um, so a late dinner, that would pretty much take care of the of, of protein synthesis, providing that something's consumed relatively close to bed, and then providing something's consumed um, relatively early on, so breakfast, within an hour of waking or something, you, mm -hmm. there's not going to be a, a significantly long time whereby you're not consuming protein, maybe eight hours or so, which is typical of most people's um, sleep patterns. So, um, If you were to do five meals, so then you could do, say, seven, um, 11, then, say, three and so on. You could, so I think four to five meals every four to five hours is, is about right for most people. Mm -hmm. Um, it's easy to remember as well, that sort of four to five mark. And the, the thing is as well, so when you get over about two or three meals, there probably isn't going to be that much of a, a greater impact in terms of the, the, the additional meals anyway. So for someone who's doing intermittent fasting, um, I, I don't understand why anyone would really do that for the, for the, for the goal of, of muscle growth, especially if they're trying to optimize it. People mm -hmm. still grow well on intermittent fasting. So if someone was to say do a 16-8 fast, so they're eating for eight hours in that day, they could say eat at midday, then 4 p.m., then 8 p.m., and then fast for 16 hours, that's, you can still gain muscle quite well on that. I, I did that for, for a little while when I was just quite busy in university and stuff like that. And it, it came down to the, the point where I was sort of yeah. Is it worth spending twenty meals prepping them? Yeah. Twenty minutes prepping the meals and that. I prefer to do some yeah. some reading or some work. So, and it just made makes me mornings a bit more productive as well. So I can just have a straight run then until the first meal, rather than messing about first thing with breakfast and stuff. You can just get a pot of coffee and then and then run with it. So, no, that's um, sorry, go on. And then in terms of fat loss and, and muscle maintenance, the there doesn't seem to be that much evidence that you need to go to this the same higher has high meal frequencies if you were to, to gain muscle. Um, there was a there's a review of positions done by the JSSN. I can't remember which year what it was. It might have been 2009 or 2011. Um, and they basically came to the conclusion that providing you're hitting your daily protein intake, you could go as little as two meals a day and sort of maintain muscle mass but then obviously if you're trying to eat 160 grams it's going to be difficult to do that mm -hmm. in two meals so you're sort of almost forced to consume at least three meals anyway so um yeah that would be my two cents on it and then and then there's the issue of um protein timing as well so if, if you are consuming four to five meals over over the course of the, the waking hours then you're protein time is almost going to be optimized as well by default because if you look at post-exercise nutrition there's not going to be more than four to five hours that passes between meals anyway so as long as you're training between one of those um, time slots which you obviously would be unless you have a meal during your workout um, then there's, there's no evidence to suggest that that's going to be detrimental that you need sort of protein within an hour of finishing a workout there's there's a study, I think it was 2000, and, I think it might have been 2009, and they showed that delaying or consuming protein an hour after exercise or three hours after exercise resulted in the same stimulation of muscle protein synthesis because when you do train, your muscles are more sensitive to the, the incoming amino acids for up to three days, probably peak around the 24-hour mark. So um, the anabolic window is, is, is days rather than, minutes as, mm -hmm. as, as a lot of people are led to believe and you see people shaking the, the shakers in the gym ready to consume as quickly as possible but so then if we take casein intake as well so there's there's, there's gathering um, data now on, on casein in particular pre-bed 
Um, I think it can be beneficial for some people, but it tends to only be beneficial or, or would seem to only be beneficial for those who aren't consuming something or consuming protein and, and close proximity to sleep. If you were to consume, say, four or five meals every four to five hours, you'd be by default doing that. Um, so you, you wouldn't really need any additional protein on top of that. Because the, the, the study, or the, the main one that's been done in that area is uh, 2015. That was by uh, Van Loon's research group. So they got subjects to ingest, I think it was 27.5 grams of, of a casein blend uh, plus 15 grams of carbs. That was about 30 minutes before sleep. And then that was compared to a non-caloric placebo. So it was protein and carbs versus nothing. And then over the 12 weeks, the the, the subjects consuming the casein had greater increases in, in cross-sectional area in type 1 and 2 muscle fibers and improved the, the, total, the total 1 RM. So I think that was across a few movements. Um, but probably the main limitation of that study is that it compared protein against protein against nothing. So what you're essentially comparing is the sort of bottom end of the protein recommendations against the higher end. Mm -hmm. um, but even then, it's it, it's difficult to separate the whether it's the additional protein that's having an effect or whether it's um, purely the, the timing aspect. And in reality, it's probably going to be a bit of both because if we look at and this this was a good point that um, I think Jorn Trommelin made, I, I think that's how you pronounce his name, and mm -hmm. uh, a, a review on casein last year. And this is going back to a, a meta-analysis in 2012 by uh, Cermak and colleagues, and, and they found that out of the, the studies where they've compared or, or supplemented protein with resistance exercise over six weeks, only five out of the 16 studies um, showed improvements in, in fat-free mass. Um, this was in, in young men, so I excluded the old men in, in my sort of mini-analysis, just so it's you're not sort of skewing things based on that sort of anabolic resistance to a degree. So, um, so you could you could make a point that because they did see an effect, then it, it leans slightly towards um, sort of saying, yeah, timing does have a have an effect, and and it does to the extent I think that you're just consuming protein within it and it's just basically another feeding window. Um, but probably an argument against that is that out of those studies, um, only five measured, I think, cross-sectional area of the muscle. Um, and three of those five showed improvements with the, the protein supplementation. So, um, yeah, so it sort of, sort of goes against that, that point in a way because the more sensitive the measure, then you're more likely to see an effect with, with added protein. So it isn't as, as dismal as, say, 5 out of 16 would lead, lead you to believe. And, and even in the Van Loon study, they didn't notice an increase in fat-free mass. What they did notice was a significant increase in, in the cross-sectional area. So with a more sensitive measure, um, then you're likely to see that. So you could – so, yeah, so it comes back to the, the idea that it's probably a, a bit of both going on in terms of timing and – um, the total amount and, and there was a paper done was published this year by Ozzy Antonio so they did a relatively similar study so they looked at the effects of consuming casein so it was around 55 grams um, within an hour and a half before sleep versus in the morning and over the eight weeks they didn't see any any differences in, in body composition so when protein was matched in this case then there was no difference although both, both groups increased their lean body mass. The, the morning group increased it by 0.4 kilos and the other increased it by the sort of casein before Ben increased it by 1.2. Mm -hmm. Whether that's down to the chance that I suppose that study needs to be replicated to sort of further elucidate what, what, what's going on. But there might be a, a very slight effect for, for timing, but, but then again, that would be probably negated by just distributing protein properly. So I think total protein and then distributing that are the two main factors to be concerned with mm -hmm. when it comes to protein and optimizing muscle hypertrophy. Perfect. So if you're you're getting your total protein, which we've done, and then we've talked about every four to five hours, <coughs> which means basically four to five servings of protein through the day, if you're splitting that 
and we want to pretty much split that evenly you don't want to you're kind of talking about you don't want to see someone having like half their protein intake within one of those meals and then spreading the rest through um i know there's we've talked about mps which is muscle protein synthesis and i know yeah. you've written about kind of <clears throat> is there a minimum amount we need to maximize that because if if we are talking about optimizing things we definitely want to maximize that every time um and there is there an amount where if you have any more it's kind of like well it's just it's not really doing anything but taking more time to digest you're not actually getting a better mps increase and that's why the distribution and the even distribution is quite important yeah yeah that's right it's um and then there was another paper i think it came out in 2013 or early 2014 um this was in the elderly i think the elderly i think so i think they consume the majority of protein at dinner in one group and then smaller amounts at breakfast and lunch and that was outperformed by consuming the same protein and then distributing that um evenly across meals and there was a, a 2013 paper as well by um Arota and, and colleagues and, and they split 80, 80 grams of whey across eight doses, so eight times 10, um, four times 20, and then two times 14. They found that the four times 20 was produced the most robust increase in, mm. in protein synthesis. So it does seem as though there's an advantage to sort of spreading that out to a, to a degree to get sort of more frequent um, spikes, if you like, in mm -hmm. muscle protein synthesis. But then again, that was an isolated source of protein and, and they, were, they were fasted um coming into that so in a typical in the more practical scenario if someone's consuming a more of a, a mixed meals and, and protein sources that aren't as rapidly digesting as as whey then um it's likely that those increases aren't going to be as robust and probably will sort of merge into one almost so um it matters to a degree but probably not as important as that the sort of data would lead you to believe. I think okay. as long as you're consuming the total amount and then having that sort of reasonably across, reasonably split across those meals, it it doesn't matter. So if you miss one of those time points and then double up at say a, a different time, I think um, I think the differences would be would be minute and you wouldn't be able to detect those in research anyway. Yeah, I guess some of these because they are such minute differences, it will take long-term studies across multiple years to kind of fathom out the tiny increase in maybe muscle mass that you could potentially be gaining. And then you'd have to be in such a controlled environment for all the other factors, it would be almost impossible to ever represent. Yeah, yeah I think the only way you could do that is if you're looking at more of the mechanistic side. So if you're, because protein synthesis, so if you look exclusively at muscle protein synthesis, that is quite a good predictor of, uh, of muscle mass gain. So. I suppose if you, if you vary those, but as soon as you start using different protein sources and mixed meals, then a lot of these effects are gonna are gonna diminish. So you, you could actually make a, an argument for that going above even say three meals isn't going to be that much more beneficial. But if if you're really looking to optimize things, then it's best to sort of go a bit overboard and trying mm -hmm. to do a bit bit more than is necessary to sort of get to those get to that end goal. It always feels nice when you're doing. Knowing you're doing everything in your yeah. power, and I think that's where a lot of the bro sciences come from because they mm -hmm. do over and above and in a strict to the extent that a lot of the stuff they're doing is unnecessary. So, um, but it makes people feel better if, when you when you are doing more. It sort of yeah. gives you that so that placebo almost that you, you you're doing more, and in reality, your body's responding equally as, as well to a, to someone who's a lot more relaxed in their approach. No, I think that's a not that it's it's related, but it's kind of quite. Uh, it could, we could go way off topic, but believing in the process and kind of if you think you're doing something that is better or the best, then you're going to get better results. If you believe like the program you're doing is the the most effective, optimal program ever, you're going to get better results because um, it's just it's weird how that works out. But there's a lot of psychology involved. Yeah, uh, I'd say it's probably. I'd say it probably come down to the to the training side of things. So if they really believe their programs, the, the dog's bollocks, shall we say, <laughs> then you're probably going to work a bit harder doing that. Um, you're probably going to be a bit more strict with your diet, and that will probably bear out bear out better results. I think if everything physically was matched, then 
yeah, it'd be interesting if belief actually produced better results. I don't, mm. I don't think it would, but it's, it wouldn't surprise me just because some of the the sort of research on placebo and stuff is, is really fascinating, especially around pain and um, like using champagne relief and stuff, and people that feel fine and like, performs equally as well to like a, a natural pain relief. But yeah, we're going going yeah. quite off topic. <laughs> but uh, I think if any of our our clients are listening, just believe that we've given you the 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 dogs bollocks of programs. We've given you the kitchen <laughs> sink, so you'll get the best results that way. Just believe in it. Um, so I think we've yeah we covered really well total protein intake. Now we've distributed it. The next thing we want to consider is the quality, um, and I know that is quite important because obviously that we have this leucine threshold. People hear about leucine thrown all over the place. Um, if you want to touch on kind of the considerations that people might want to take when they're talking about quality, um, I know a lot of like we've we, I've spoken about with kind of smaller guys who are bulking and they get a lot of their protein from like bagels and which is the gluten i'm assuming and things like this and whether they need to think about why well, maybe i should increase my protein intake so i can get some higher quality with that because it's not got that much leucine and um whether leucine on its own is obviously also not enough you need kind of the whole protein there to allow the whole process to go through but um without me kind of mishmashing it all together i'll, I'll let you kind of talk and delve into the the importance of quality for people Yes, sure. So um, generally when we speak of quality in terms of promoting muscle gain, yeah, we're speaking of the, the sort of leucine and the, the essential amino acid profile of a, of a given protein source. So if we look at animal proteins, they tend to be a lot better than um, vegetarian and vegan sources. They're, they're a lot higher in leucine, they're a lot higher in essential amino acids. Um, so you, you touched on the idea of a leucine threshold, and that's tied into what we're talking about in terms of an optimal dose. So, um, th there isn't, in fact, an actual threshold because even 10 grams of whey will produce like a protein synthesis response, probably around 65 70% of that of a you know, 40 grams. It's it sort of levels off like that almost. Mm -hmm. If you look at the more 2009 paper, you can see that quite quite nicely. So. Well, in, in terms of maximizing that response, you're probably looking at a protein dose containing around two to three grams of leucine. Um, so if we go with the upper end of that, so we're really trying to push the boundary, that would probably work out as around um, 25 grams or so of whey, um, probably close to 13 casein. Milk could be somewhere between the middle um, and then a little bit higher, stuff like chicken and, and beef and then fishes, you need a little bit higher amount than that. But then if you're looking at sort of vegan sources then um, you can be talking close to sort of 40 to 45 grams to get that sort of three grams of, of leucine in that wow. in that given protein dose but I suppose a strategy you could do it if so for vegan or vegetarian bodybuilders then there's two options really you can either go slightly higher with your overall protein so which is which you discussed earlier on or you can add leucine to that to that given protein dose and um i'm not sure what if, if that's been done today I'm, I'm sure they've done fortification of, of protein i think it might have been wheat protein with leucine okay. um and it, it performs sort of similarly well um from, from what i recall unless i'm getting things mixed up so that there's just two options there and speaking to um, Lee Hamilton. Um, oh, yeah. I think they're producing some research in, in this area where they're fortifying some vegan and vegetarian um, or some vegan sources with, with leucine and, and seeing the response. And then I think comparing those to, say, whey, which is probably the best protein source out there. There's nothing that really matches it in terms of the, the leucine con content as well as the, the absorption profile. It's just rapidly absorbed in, in comparison to, to other protein sources. So that would be how I'd um, adjust things based on on a vegetarian. But even if a vegetarian ate um, or a vegan ate 25, 30 grams of a given protein source, if you compared that to someone who's eating meat and completely unrestricted in their choice of protein sources, then you probably wouldn't be too disadvantaged by it. Um, 
even at this sort of 1.8 to 2 grams. So, but just to sort of cover your bases and to really trying to push the, the boundary in terms of muscle growth, then it's, it doesn't hurt to say um, increase, say, total protein by maybe 10%. So if you're consuming 2 grams, go for 2.2. Um, and that would reflect then in those given protein doses throughout the day. So um, that, that's one way of doing it. Cool. So that's... So we're talking about, yeah, a lot of people kind of, they focus on MPS and they almost think about if they don't have a certain amount, they're not getting anything from it. But obviously we've just touched on, it's not that you're not getting anything from it, you're just not getting maximal, you're not maximizing your MPS. Um, So is there a certain amount that different people, when we are talking about maximizing your MPS, I know some people I've heard talk about recommendations per meal, in terms of kind of a gram per body weight or 20 grams for kind of younger guys 40 grams for older guys is there what is your kind of view on maximizing mps on a per meal basis um i can't recall any i don't think there's any data showing that going above 40 grams is is beneficial for for muscle protein synthesis so that would be an absolute maximum um, unless there's more data out there, but even then, even if there was a slight advantage of a little bit more, then is that worth? The, is it is it better to distribute that forty across five meals versus or four meals versus having say sixty at three? Um, I'd probably guess not. So mm-hmm. I still don't see any real rationale of going above that. Um, in terms of a minimum. I'd say it comes down to the protein source again, but I'd say around 30 to 40 grams would be sufficient for most people. If you're consuming, say, whey, then you could probably get away with 20 um, or even 15 if you're quite a light light woman. Mm-hmm. Um, what was the other part of the question? About so the, it was... Oh, what do I recommend it in in terms of the... Um, because most people are familiar with it, I just recommend it in grams or even down to the sort of serving of, of protein. So mm-hmm. say for a chicken breast, for example, that's around, well, you can get some quite big chicken breasts now, so yeah. towards about 50 grams of protein. But in say like a typical Tesco, one like that, then you're probably talking around 25 grams or so. Um, so if you, give, if you give people who are not really familiar with grams and stuff, if, if I give just an average client, say, consume 0.5 grams of protein per kilogram of body mass per meal they'd, mm-hmm. um, they'd probably stop working with me so but, <laughs> um, I, I don't think there's much advantage to recommending it per kilogram because there was a I think in that Whitehead study in 2016 they showed that individuals with higher lean body mass didn't respond any differently for those who were below a lean yeah. body mass so it doesn't seem as though it's impacted much by by total muscle mass, which make, which makes sense in a way because essentially protein acts as the, the signal to to stimulate that. And if you think about the total protein that's actually been incorporated into to new muscle, um, it's a very small amount of the, the actual protein you consume in a given day. So, um, so part of the reason why we recommend lower for say women is because then it doesn't make a massive. So if say if you give a woman who's 55, 60 kilos, 180 grams of protein per day. It doesn't leave that much for, for, for yeah. other, other macronutrients and stuff. So it generally scales with body weight, and that comes in that that sort of is mainly that's mainly sort of dictated by the total total daily amount of protein anyway. So mm-hmm. I think between 20 and 40 grams is is probably going to be fine for most people. Um, for the elderly probably getting up towards the top end of that for sort of lighter um, people, and even light males, like when you get some some men in sort of the low 60s, high 50s, then probably 20 to 25 if it's a high-quality protein source would be fine. Perfect. Yeah, I think the really nice thing with that is when you do just cover your total protein and then you, you get it split between the four to five meals, you've kind of covered that that scenario and problem anyway, and... So it becomes something that you don't really need to think about too hard, which is, yeah, a really good thing. Um, and then I think if we've, we've kind of gone through total protein distribution and quality now, 
we can talk about timing. And I know we've already touched a bit about Kazian um, and potentially the timing of that pre-bed. I remember when I, I, I went back in the day and when I first got into kind of talking about nutrition for bodybuilders, I remember them talking about Kazian, it you know, like globulates and it drip feeds protein through the night, um, which keeps your muscle kind of growing through the night. And, and then that kind of got like shoo shooed away and now it's kind of coming back whether a casein before bed is a is a beneficial thing has there been a lot of kind of good quality research on this is or is a lot of it still kind of theoretical um what are your thoughts on casein before bed um so going back to the yeah so we discussed it slightly earlier on so i, I think it, i think it can be useful if so you're not consuming protein in close proximity to bed anyway. If protein was properly distributed, then I don't think there'd be much need for, or if any need to consuming casein or any other protein for that matter pre-bed because you'd pretty much be already doing so. And like you say, casein is a slowly digesting protein. So when you when it's in the stomach, the stomach it coagulates, and then it, like you say, so the gastric emptying is pretty slow. So the, the rate at which it empties from the stomach. And then that reflects in the absorption profile of, so if you did weigh, it's more of a, a rapid sort of increase in more of a robust increase in protein synthesis, whereas casein is a bit more slow to rise and sort of slower to, slower to fall. So it does suit nighttime feeding. Um, but a lot of other proteins have got a similar, pro, a similar property anyway. And I think if you could consume 40 grams of whey before bed, I don't think there'd be any difference between, say, whey versus casein in terms of sort of long-term effects on, on muscle growth, for example. Um, so the research that has been done into it, and most of this has come from uh, Luke Van Loon's lab, and uh, I think it's Maastricht University in, in the Netherlands. And one of the first ones they did was um, they fed casein um, via a nasogastric tube, so that's a tube that goes up your nose and down the, wow. down the throat into the, into the stomach. And they showed that that stimulated muscle protein synthesis overnight, and that was, I think that was 40 grams of protein. Um, obviously, that's not relevant to your listeners. So they did a similar study, but then subjects ingested that. So they ingested 40 grams uh, 30 minutes before sleep and showed that that improved overnight recovery. So what it compared to a placebo, um, that increased protein synthesis. So it's essentially, I think it was around 22% or something like that. So that was essentially designed as a proof of concept because there is some evidence that um, the diurnal effects are just the, the effects of just like your circadian rhythm on, on digestion and stuff that can be impaired slightly during sleep. So it's basically to say that, yeah, you can still absorb and, and increase protein synthesis during sleep. So then you think, oh, that's a, that's opens up a whole new window for people to try to exploit and, mm -hmm. and people have been doing that for years you've got bodybuilders wake up in the middle of the night and down a protein shake which yeah. should probably work similarly well but um yeah i don't i think that's going a bit a bit overboard and i think it's fine if someone was a sort of competitor and that's um, like a pro bodybuilder then you, you're trying to do everything you can for that sort of fraction of a percent um, but for your average gym goer, then you're talking a less than one percent effect of that um, of such a practice. So what they did after that study, so that was the one I previously discussed, where they used 27.5 grams of casein, the casein blend before bed, and that outperformed your placebo over over 12 weeks in terms of the cross-sectional area, and then the muscle cross-sectional area, and then the more recent one was the the Ozzy Antonio one, where they match protein and then consumed either 55 grams of casein at breakfast or, or before bed, and then um, found that there's no difference statistically. There's a very slight advantage in terms of consuming the casein, but um, yeah. So I think that's that's pretty much where we are all to in terms of the in terms of the research at the minute. I think what would be a good study is looking at say 24 hour or, or maybe 36 hour muscle protein synthesis in response to a matched protein intakes across the day. Um, because it, it is difficult to tease out any changes in long-term studies and there's so many limitations unless you sort of, people are completely adherent, um, they're doing exactly what you say, they're, 
um, and they've got everything controlled. It, it just costs a lot of money to do that sort of stuff. It still costs a lot of money to do um, purely lab-based experiments and more acute experiments, but at least you've got that element of control there. And at least, uh, and I think looking at those markers would give us a bit, a bit of an insight. So if you did a similar one, say protein match, but then protein consume one in the evening versus, so similar to the one, so the rest study in 2012, so where they consumed 40 grams before sleep and looked at overnight protein response, they could potentially do that over a prolonged period throughout the day and then sort of match protein with that. I don't know how feasible that would be in the lab. It'd probably be quite expensive. Um, I suppose it means taking biopsies off people uh, as well so, uh, for throughout most of the day. But yeah, I think it comes back to that. If you consume enough protein and it's, and you, you're not sort of going too long a period without it throughout the day, so you're consuming protein in the morning and then something relatively close to bed, I don't think it'd matter too much. Uh, one interesting thing, though, is that um, there does seem to be a, a sort of a dose response of protein pre-sleep as well. So going back to, to Jorn Trommelin, is mm-hmm. in, in a review he did on sort of pre-bed protein, he, I don't, I don't think this, is, this has been published, but that they found that 30 grams didn't improve overnight protein synthesis compared to, a, um, imagine, a placebo. So maybe the, the 40 grams is a sort of minimum if, if you want to consume that pre-sleep. So maybe sort of 30, 30, 30, then up to sort of 40 to 50 in the evening. So, um, which is which sort of marries up with what most people do anyway. People have generally more protein in the dinner because they have big dinners and. Yeah. Um, it's a bit more of a social meal than just trying to use, just trying to get something down throughout the day when people are busy. So, um, yeah, but that's pretty much it in terms of casing at the minute. Mm-hmm. And then, in terms of timing, is there anything people need to consider? I know we talked about it a little bit how the post workout window isn't really a window, it's like days. Um, is there anything people need to consider in terms of kind of peri workout nutrition, in terms of protein timing there? If, Maybe if if the general trainee doesn't need to, but if what if someone's training maybe twice a day, do they need to then consider it more so? Um, my sort of general opinion on yeah, so look, go once a day first of all. So I think if you are consuming, so I think as long as no more than say four or five hours passes between protein feedings and your workouts sandwiched in between one of those, I don't think sliding the protein up or down either side of that workout is going to make any difference whatsoever in terms of in terms of muscle growth. In two, if you're training twice a day, assuming that those bouts would be separated by um, at least eight hours, you'd imagine if there's morning and evening training, that would naturally fall in within a, that sort of nice sort of distribution anyway. So again, I don't think it matters too much. What I think would matter more is the, the intake of, say, carbohydrate and yeah. A relation to, to training so because we know that delaying the the intake of carbohydrate can delay the, the replenishment of muscle glycogen so after the first workout then i'd say get as many carbs in as you can um, as long as you're not sort of bloated and feel like crap and i um, it's within your sort of daily limit as, as soon as possible after a workout and that could be done with say like a dextrose plus whey so suppose then you're having a protein shake relatively quickly but um, yeah, that would be pretty much my my two pence on, on, on in terms of timing. Perfect. No, that's really nice. And I think what's really nice here is, and if I can try and sort of summarize it, and you can correct me if I say anything wrong, is that once you've got your total protein correct, you've distributed it between four to five meals fairly evenly and maybe back-ending a bit more in the evening, so making that evening serving slightly bigger. And if you're not vegetarian and you're consuming enough protein, you're probably getting a good enough quality each time. You've kind of covered all your bases right there and then, and you don't need to really worry about it any more than what you have. And it's, I think for most people, it's not even that difficult to do what you've we've just described and like let yeah. out to people. Yet a lot of people, obviously, it's great having the research into it. And I think like we discussed, it's really hard to pick out the little nuances that could potentially be beneficial. But 
as the overarching principles, the biggest rocks are have been shown kind of quite clear with the research. It's really a fantastic place to be. Yeah, that, that, that that's spot on. Yeah, it's um, yeah, it's quite nice. From it. it's probably better than my ramblings for the past forty-five minutes. <laughs> um, yeah, like I couldn't agree more with that. It's, and I think with that, when you're talking about more sort of complex issues and this stuff, kind of about protein timing and then casein and then people like all these, say branched-chain amino acids and leucine and stuff. I think people get overwhelmed, especially people who don't really understand science or. Um, or read or read much into it and probably just the information they get is from like bodybuilding magazines or, or sort of the more popular YouTube channels, um, i.e. less less evidence based. Yeah. Um then you can be misled and sort of miss the forest for the trees and then the forest essentially is the, the total protein and then Yeah. And I'm just and I think even even if you said to someone consume two grams of per kilo of protein per day. I think by by default they they nail over ninety percent of this stuff because yeah. they'd be forced essentially to distribute that, um, and some of that will come in close proximity to training and, and probably the bed as well. So so even that one simple bit of advice, you, and then for every little layer on top of that, you're just adding that little tiny bit more. So um, yeah, that's that's pretty much my my thoughts on it. No, brilliant. I I really enjoyed that. And I think the listeners will have really, really taken a lot away from it. And to go back to your point about your ramblings and the research and everything, that's, no, that's very important. And that's how we can come to these summaries, because you do do all that work, which is greatly appreciated. Anyone who's listening, loves building muscle, and they, they need this stuff. So no, thank you very much for doing that. And I want to make sure that the audience know where they can reach out to you. I know you, we went over your links beforehand, but if there was any way you were kind of one place you wanted to direct people to, where would you say is the best place? Um, I'd say the the more frequent updates via, I should really pull my finger out and do more blogging. I've got a few articles that are nearly finished, but I'm, Brilliant. I tend to be quite a perfectionist, so I'm going to finish those off pretty soon. But um, facebook.com slash Joseph Agger Nutrition if you just type Joseph Agger or Elite Nutrition Coaching into Facebook then you should be able to find the page I, I probably do about three or four posts a week um, on that and, and try and keep them as relevant and as interesting as possible and then yeah so I'll, I'll, I'll be blogging a lot more as well this year and Perfect. potentially even some some videos, maybe a YouTube channel but I won't get ahead nice. of myself just yet yeah. <laughs> um, and the, the website's www.elitenutritioncoaching.com perfect yeah definitely check out joseph's facebook page and i know joseph's actually kind of you have these pages where if you ask a question or if you have a comment they don't respond but joseph definitely does he takes care of everyone and if you have got questions there i know not to get loads of people and traffic your way too much that you can't handle but i know you're you're good and you'll get back to people and really really helpful so I definitely recommend people check that out. And again, just want to thank everyone for listening. I want to thank Joseph again for coming on and uh, we'll talk to you soon. Yeah, thanks a lot, mate. Thanks for having me. Cheers.